In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue the study of the book of Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 2. So just a quick review, if you guys remember, we said that Saul and Jonathan died. After they died, there's a problem, who's going to be the next king? So we saw that David consulted with God, and God told him, go to Judah. When he went to Judah, the people of Judah made him a king. Remember, Israel is formed of 12 families, 12 tribes. So one of those families, which is David is from, they told him, okay, we're going to make you a king over our own area. Now, the rest of Israel, which is about like 11 big families, 11 big tribes, they have, there is a son of Saul that was not, that was not dead. He became a king. But if you guys remember last time, we said that the person that controlled everything was his army commander. His name is Joab. Okay? So just, just to review, because we got introduced to a couple of new names. So we said David had a commander, and his name is, uh, David has a commander, his name is Joab, sorry. And then uh, Ashiboshesh, the king of Israel, had a commander, his name is Abinir. So Joab and Abinir. These are the two, uh, two, the two armies. David's commander is Joab. Ashiboshesh of Israel, his commander is Abinir. You guys, remember last time we said that Abinir of Israel, he felt unhappy that David became a king and he's also started to make a relationship so he started to pick up a fight when he picked up the fight at the end of the fight he killed the brother of Joab who is the commander of the army of David okay so they started fighting and last time we left at uh, the army of Joab which is following David is running after Abinir and his in his guys so Joab, so Abinir told him in verse 26, which we spoke about last time, then Abinir called to Joab, said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be better in the later end? How long will be then until you, you tell people to return from pursuing their brethren? So even though Abinir was the one who initiated the war, like we said last time, he came to a point where he learned when to exit. He said, you know what, this is a problem. I have to exit, otherwise we're going to have a big loss. And Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by the morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. Even Joab himself, even though he's a difficult person, and we'll find later on that he's a difficult person, and it's probably one of the biggest, one of the mistakes that David made is he kept him for a long time. He found that if this war continues there will be a lot of loss. But here's the thing. He told him, if you have not spoken, I would have continued the war. You know, there are usually two extremes of people. People who like to confront all the time and people who don't like to confront at all. And sometimes people who don't like to confront at all, at some point, in certain situation, if they just say a few words, everything could be resolved. All the anger could be gone. And this is what Abinir did. All what he had to do was say, enough of this war. And Joab responded. So Joab blew the trumpet. And all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Obviously the trumpet is a, is a, a, a tool to make announcement in war. But also the trumpet in the scripture, by the way, is very related to the second coming. It says God will come on the cloud in 1 in Thessalonians and he will come 
with the, with the sound of the trumpet. So what does that mean? It also means that a lot of times when people are fighting, when I turn their attention to heaven, and I turn their attention to the second coming, it calms people, people down. And people start thinking of what is important. You know, many times when people are on deathbed, or their relative on deathbed, they be like, all what I want to do is die while nobody's upset with me. So when people think about the second coming, when there's issues, and start thinking think about how close the kingdom is, it helps people to make the decision. Then Abinir and his men went all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bathron, and they came to Mahinehem. So Joab returned from pursuing Abinir, and when they had gathered all the people together, they were missing David's servants, 19 men, and Ashel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin's and Abinir's men, 360 men who died. Then they took up Ashel and, uh, and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. So when we look at the, at the end of the war, the person who initiated the war actually lost a lot more. But David's army lost their own family members. Israel lost people that they looked at as soldiers. And that's why you will see that the army of David, the commander of David, he will be seeking revenge. And I think it's something to keep in mind a little bit. Sometimes we treat certain people who are close to us as if they mean a lot. And those who are far away, we don't know. We treat them less than even human. And we'll see, we'll see this when you compare people's reaction for whom they lost. Also, we see here that the Israelites were just defeated by the Philistines in the end of the first Samuel. So now, what the devil is doing, instead of making them fight the real enemy, he's turning them against each other. And a lot of the fathers of the church said, the hardest war is the war that comes from within, not the one that comes from outside. Because when the war comes from outside and we're united, what's going to happen to us? We're all going to all enter the kingdom. What's the worst they're going to do? They're going to kill us, we're going to enter heaven. When war happens from inside, there is division, there is loss of peace, there's people getting weaker in their faith, and you lose what's very important. Now, we're going to start chapter 3. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul weaker and weaker. Obviously, you guys know that David is a king, and he is the king appointed by God, and he's a clear leader who has a vision, who is loved. So even though he has a small fraction that is following him, but what's happening, he's getting stronger and stronger. What does it mean stronger? Is it in numbers? It is probably more in loyalty, in structure. Okay, it's very, very important. But Israel, because they have a king who's fake, the person who's leading everything is, a, is the army leader. But the people of Israel start losing morale. Start losing what? Start losing the loyalty. And actually, 
A lot of times when people are in position of leadership, sometimes they try to hide certain things. But people are usually smart. They feel it. And they get it. And people are affected by example more than anything else. So here we see that in this life, David is getting stronger. He's a good leader. So, uh, and then it says, sons were born to David in, he in Hebron. His, first, his firstborn was uh, Amon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelites. His second was Kaliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelites. We talked about her. The third was Absalom, the son of Maha, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jashur. Obviously, David had two other children that were not mentioned. He has Delilah, Amon, and, and, and Absalom. But all of them, we'll see later on, that they were dead before the fourth uh, sons of David was dead, Adinoja. So, and the fourth was Adinoja, the son of Haggith. The fifth was Shahatai, the son of Abitel. And the sixth was Athiram by David's wife, Elgaha. Those were born to David in Hebron. So what's happening here? Just get a quick comment. David is getting stronger. So what it means? It means his family is getting bigger. Okay? And he's, and he's, and he's, he's getting blessed by more children. In the old days, children were a source of blessing. It means that his kingdom will be steadfast for a while. When you have many male children, you notice here the Bible is focused a lot on the male children. All these are potential heirs of his kingdom. Okay? So he's saying he's going stronger, and one of the ways he's stronger in is that he has more people to inherit his work. So when we ask ourselves, how we as a children of God grow stronger, is by how many people we channel what we have learned to them. That's how we grow stronger as a church, as a body of God. This is what's happening. Obviously, we talked earlier, of course, about God's intention was for men to marry one woman. So David, obviously, marrying multiple women was wrong, and we spoke about this earlier. But in the context of the Old Testament, God said he, uh, he, he was silent about men marrying more than one woman for the hardness of their heart. But the prophet here was more interested in, in pointing out that David was being blessed. David was being blessed. One of the things also I like about this part is that David at this point, he's expecting to be the king of the whole country. But he is living his life normally. You don't see him planning to go to take over Israel, even though he knows they are weak. And that's also very important. It's important for me that when I get to a place in life, I get to it the right way. Otherwise, I will be skipping the path that God wants me to skip, to, to go through. And I could be missing a lot of development that God wants me to develop. Now, it was so, while there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abinir was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. So, Constantly, there is a little bit of war between here and between Saul and, 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 and Israel. 
And we don't know how long this took. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Reza, the daughter of Aya. So Ashishophus said to Abinir, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Let's get a, think a little bit about this for a little bit. We said that the main figure of Israel is Abinir. He is the guy, he's the head of the army, he's moving everything. Now Abinir did something extremely slick. What did he do? He went and he slipped in with the concubine of Saul. This specific concubine, so she actually had two children from Saul, two sons. You will see it in Kings 21.8. So it made her an important figure in the royal family. And you will see in, later on in 1 Kings, when somebody tried to marry the concubines of David, Solomon punished him by death. Because when you marry the concubine of a king, you're almost trying to take his place. This is his own blood. So when you enter, you're almost kind of getting into another step. Now, obviously, Abinir, even though he's the man who's controlling everything, but he's not happy. He wants more. And he's trying slowly and slowly to take more and more and more. Okay? And I'll tell you guys something about Abinir and my own thoughts. I was reading this. Abinir resembles a lot of us who have a lot, but we complain too much. Like he's the man who's controlling all of Israel. Everybody listens to him. The king is afraid of him. But what else do you want? Can you ever be content? No. He complains against the king. He tries more and more greedy, selfish. That's why it's important for our desire to be attached to a vision, not attached to having control over people. A lot of times our desires are related to I want to be powerful. I want to be rich. I want to make a lot of money. I want to do this. I want, why? Because I want to help people. What's your vision for your life? What's your goal? How are you going to help? Abinir here, he missed the point. When the king came and told him, how is it that you're taking my father's concubine? Look at what Abinir did. And Abinir became very angry at the words of Ashishophus and said, I, am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the, soul, to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hands of David, and you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? Abinir is wrong to take Saul's concubines. But his defense mechanism was like, I do so much for you. And you're coming and telling me uh, I'm wrong about this? Does that sound familiar? Every time we get into an argument or a fight, my self-mechanism is not admitting my own mistakes. My self-mechanism is saying how great I am and how much work I'm doing, even though I'm defending what's wrong. That's what's happening. He's telling him, are you treating me like a dog's head? It's almost like some people says, like you're treating me as 
مش مش that's an expression in the in the in the old days it means almost like يعني the the lowest part of the dog not his head it means the lowest part of the dog who do you think you're treating me like and then Abinir says may God do so to Abinir and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. I cannot believe he did this. In front of the king, he's telling him, I promise you, I will deliver the kingdom to David. Wow. He's speaking, he's telling the king himself that I will betray you. But also it's fascinating here that Abinir himself knew the vow that God has given David. Everybody knew the vow. But he continued to still support the kingdom of Israel. This is described to you the heart of, of Abinir. He's not a person who's trying to fulfill the commandments of God. When he's trying to fulfill it, it's out of anger, out of revenge. Not out of a of love. Not out of love. And unfortunately, sometimes, for example, when people pray, they ask God for revenge against other people. And they might put paper on altar on the altar asking for revenge from other people. And God looks at this and be like, What is this? So we try to fulfill the command, commandments of God as a form of revenge. For example, a deacon uh, wants to impress a girl that he broke up with, he starts holding the microphone and showing off. What is this? I'm using the commandments of God, the holiness of the church, to try to revenge. And he could not answer Abinir another word because he feared him. Imagine Abinir told him, I will take the kingdom from him, from you. He could not even answer him. This is when somebody takes a responsibility that they are not ready for. Then Abinir sent messengers on his behalf to David saying, Whose is the land? saying also make your covenant with me and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So what's happening here? Abinir took an action and right away sent a message to David, told him, I want to make a covenant with you. Obviously, David knows that Abinir is a big guy in Israel and he probably doesn't know that he has a conflict with, with Ashishofish and we're going to see why we, we, we know he doesn't have a conflict. There's one thing I want to just mention, I, I kind of skimmed through it a bit quickly. We have to be careful in our life about desiring responsibilities, desiring big roles because a lot of times big roles that come in life they come with so much sacrifice that we're not able to keep up with them. I remember a while ago, I met somebody, uh, I was interviewing for a job, and this person 
we were talking a little about like you know what I want to do f with my life and stuff and he was he, he was the the head of a refinery out in Chicago and he was telling me that he got offered to be promoted vice vice president of the company three times and three times he turned it down for me it's a bigger money but it's a lot more travel which means I would have to give up on my family I have to give up on my church commitment so it's important for me to understand the glamour of responsibility my oh, big office airplanes traveling a lot first class all that stuff but then there's also a lot of headache that comes with it so here Ashishofesh did not realize he's not able to handle the responsibility and it's not easy for people to say I can't do this everybody feels also oh, I can't I got it now what happened here David told him I will make a covenant with you but David remember David was married to Michal Saul's daughter and what happened if you guys remember what happened first Samuel that uh, Saul when when he tried to uh, to try to kill David he couldn't catch him he took his wife and gave it to another man to marry her so David told him I'm not gonna let you see my face it's by the way it's a, it's, a, it's a form of respect. Like for, in order for you to see the king's face, it's like, a, like a, a political statement. You know, like, for example, to say, the president is not gonna meet the president of this country. You know, our, our president is not gonna meet the president of North Korea, for example, because they don't think, you know, like this is worthy the meaning, of the meaning. So it's a, it's, you're making a political statement by seeing the king. So he's telling him, I will not make you see my face. I will not make a political statement with you unless I get my, my wife back. Guys, remember, Michal loved Saul, loved David, and she helped him to run away from Saul. And I'll tell you guys something, I was thinking about this, and you can reflect on it on your own. David, when, when Saul took his wife away, he had all the reason to revenge from Saul. He could have said, you took my wife. I will kill you. And he had two chances to kill him. But he didn't. Because there was no law that would allow him to do this. He would not violate the laws of God. Also chose that, so, that David is still loyal to his wife. And he wanted to keep her. Because obviously Saul did not consult Michal what she wants. Michal loved David. So he forced her out into another marriage that she does not want. This is verse 14. So David sent messenger to Ashishophish, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a thousand foreskin of the Philistines. So this is where it shows that David did not know the conflict between Abinir and the king. He sent another message to the king. Okay? So he's telling him, Send her to me because. He paid, remember Saul asked him for, uh, for to kill some Philistines in order for him to marry her. I told him, I paid her dowry already. And Ashishophus sent and took her from her husband, from Pelital, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Bahiram, weeping behind her. So Abinir said to him, go, return, and he returned. Obviously, the scene here is very very sad 
right? He's taking, he's taking the, the wife, David is restoring his old wife, and now her new husband is crying after her. I'm going to tell you just give a couple of quick points as we move along. There were there are some laws at this time in, in this area, in Mesopotamia, is that if a man leaves his first wife for reasons outside his own control, he was captured in war, whatever it is, then, and she's married to another person, when he comes back, he has the right to claim her. Okay? So this is not unusual outside the law. The second thing is, this a simple idea, is whatever was built on a wrong foundation cannot continue. So Michal was forced into another marriage while she had her first husband. Another point I want to tell you about here, we see here also in this passage, is that people of Israel, they had no problem taking Michal, who was related to them, and bringing her to David. It means that they had no problem putting political connections over their own family. And that's what we see a lot in the world. And I'm going to tell you guys something, and this is important. This is exactly one of the main reasons why God did not intend for them to have a king. God wanted Israel to have a judge, like Moses, like Joshua. Did not want them to have a king. When you have a king, you're going to start using force and power and start staying away from praying and depending on God for every small detail. And now you start seeing people making all these decisions that we would not as human feel they're appropriate. Now Abinir had communicated with the elders of Israel saying, I, in the past you were seeking for David to be a king over you. So Abinir gathered the people of Israel. He already now going to cut a deal with, with David. Told them, look, you've always wanted David to be a king over you. And this, if you guys remember David at the beginning of his life, after he defeated Goliath, a lot of people were going out and singing songs for David and this, they thought of him very highly. So he said, from the beginning you guys liked him. Now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and, and the hand of all their enemies. So, Abinir is doing what God wants, what God wants. By the way, God wants David to be a king. But Abinir is doing it with the wrong intention. Why is he doing it? Because he's doing it as a revenge against the king. That's why one of the saints said, God judges our intentions. God judges our intentions. Even if from the outside it looks good, God looks at the intention of the heart. This guy is acting out of revenge, not out of his love to fulfillment of the commandment of God. And Abinir also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Benjamin is a family of Saul. That's a big one. Then Abinir also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abinir and 20 men with him came to David Haran, and David made a feast for Abinir and men who were with him. So David came, uh, sorry, uh, Abinir came to David. They're now going to have a covenant. The covenant basically is that they will make a David king and he will rule over the whole area. Okay? By the way, when it said here that 
the abenir is spoken the hearing of benjamin the word speaking in the hearing of somebody is a for it's, it's a formal notice it's a formal it's a formal way of of, of, of relating an information and sometimes it requires a witness we'll see we we'll see this in deuteronomy 5 1 okay and then he started having a conversation with abenir and obviously abenir was the commander of Saul, and at some point he was seeking the life of david but david is able to forgive and able to understand that every stage in life is different. Sometimes we keep people in a certain frame that we had for a long time and we never changed. This person, we label them. This person is lazy. This person is, is sneaky. This person is liar. And then, even if they repent, even if they change, we still in our mind label them that way. Then Abinir said to David, I will rise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, and they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that, in, that your heart desires. So David sent Abinir away, and he went in peace. So here, they made an agreement, and, and Abinir told David, look, you are the king. I spoke with the elders already. Everything is no, is, is no problem. You're going to be the king. By the way, um, let me just explain to you why all these events are happening because you might be lost. Why all these events are happening? Just tell you a couple of things. Number one, God is trying to show us two things. That when David became a king, he became a king by a divine plan of God. His hand since he went to Judah until he became a king was not guilty of anything he did not lose he did not use malice or anything to become a king remember David is the is the biggest anti-type of Christ he is the first most one of the most important types of Christ in the Old Testament the second thing that's very important here it shows us that God when he has a plan he takes into account all human evil imperfections everything to achieve what he wants do you believe in that or no do you believe that even the people around you that seem stronger still still seem more connected god still moves everything for the plan he wants for you We'll see. Now, it seems like now David is going to be a king. A big mess is going to happen right now. But God's still trying to show that all the evil of humanity does not prevent to God when he makes a promise, when he has a plan for his child. At the moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abinir was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. Just let me try to, to remind you guys. Joab is the head of the army of David. Joab's brother was killed by Abinir. Joab wants to kill Abinir as a revenge for his brother. So Joab was away, you know, doing his thing, you know, killing animals, bringing stuff. When he came back, he heard that David met with Abinir. Okay? And maybe Joab thought that David did 
intentionally. He sent him away intentionally. You know, a lot of times when things happen in life, we might interpret things in the wrong way. There are certain facts and we start making, say, oh, he sent him, he sent me away because he wants to make a deal with Abinir behind my back. So look what Joab. And Joab and all the troops that were with him had come. They told Joab saying, Abinir, the son of Nir, came to the king and he sent him away and he has gone in peace. Obviously, everybody knows that Abinir is so upset with Joab and want to kill him. And this is a problem when people know who you're upset with because they will only bring you bad news about that person. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abinir came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he has already gone? Surely you realize that Abinir, the son of Nir, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and coming in and to know all that you're doing. So Joab is telling David, what are you doing? You know Abinir is coming here? You know why? Why is he coming here? He's coming to understand all your army tactics, all your maneuvers. He wants to see where you put the soldiers, where everything is. You do not understand what's going to happen. When we are driven by revenge, it is impossible to see the good in the person. And this is what happened with Joab. Abinir came with good intention to truly have peace with David. But he could not see it because he was driven by revenge. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abinir who brought him back from the will of Sarah, but David did not know it. See, this is why I was telling you Joab was a problem because he was the head of the army, but he acted in a lot of ways without consulting David. And probably David did not expect him to do these things. And now when Abinir had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died in the blood, uh, for the blood of Eshel, his brother. So what's happening here? When Joab sent messengers to Abinir, Abinir obviously just came from David. He felt like everything is good. So he came back. When he came back, Joab took him aside and he killed him. Joab and Abinir in his mind, he did not expect that this will happen. In the old days, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, there was laws allowing people to take vengeance for, for blood. You will see it in, in Numbers 35, 9, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 19. But also God created cities, established cities for people to run, to be saved. So, but here obviously this happened without any trial, without anything. He went and he killed him. Afterwards, when David heard of it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abinir, the son of Nir. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how to think of David's response. Okay? So David, and this is one of the things I love about the Old Testament, that it expresses, explains the human condition so well. Let's try to get this right, okay? Be patient with me. David, extremely sharp and enforces the laws of God as they are all the time. Somebody came and told him, you know what, uh, Saul needed, Saul was in the battle and I helped him and I stabbed him because he asked me to. 
David told him, what are you doing? He killed him. We'll see another story that comes afterwards, and David will say, no, what you did was wrong. When it came to Joab, the head of his army, David was not courageous enough to apply the law. So even in our life, we like to do the right things. But sometimes there's people in our life where we are intimidated by them. And we can apply the laws and the systems, whatever we want to do. But when it comes to that person, I feel I can't do it. So David said, you know what? I am guiltless. I didn't do anything. Me and my kingdom. It seems like David is driven by fear. How do you know? Because his first reaction is self-defense. His biggest concern at this point is, I don't want people to think I killed him because this will cause a civil war and I might not be a king. Okay? So his reaction expresses, by the way, how we all live our life. We all, a lot of us as, as children of God, we have people in our life that when it comes to them, we don't feel we're able to apply the system we want to apply. People get in my car, and I don't feel I can tell them, no, I cannot play music. Bad music that they want. People come to my house, and I feel I cannot tell them, no, I don't want to drink alcohol. People, you understand? There are certain people that I'm not able to say no to. He says, let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of, of Joab one who has a discharge or a leper who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or lack, who lacks bread. So instead of David taking an action, he started basically wishing evil on the family of Joab. Hopefully they all die with sword and diseases and hunger. Look, sometimes our only action is prayer. Absolutely. But when you are in a place of responsibility and you don't do your job, then you are guilty as well. Because you're surrounding yourself with people who have issues. So the Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abinir because he had killed their brother Ashal at Gabon in the battle. So the Bible here is confirming that this was a revenge. This was an act of murder for revenge. And then David said to Joab and all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourself with sackcloth and mourn for Abinir, and King David followed the coffin. You know, I'll tell you guys something. Whenever you take a revenge, you never feel peaceful. You never feel you succeeded. When you take a revenge from somebody, you never feel good. Because it doesn't feel good. So now, when he killed him, and didn't tell David, Joab was a bit, obviously, in a weak place, a bit broken. So David told him, we're all going to mourn, we're all going to walk in the funeral of Abinir. And David seems to be genuinely sorry for the death of Abinir. Okay? So they buried Abinir in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice, wept at the grave of Abinir, and all the people wept. Seems like his tears were genuine. And it could have been in David's mind that if I unite the two kingdoms, 
I could get rid of Joab and make Abner like the head guy. Because Joab is a, a bit reckless. Who knows? And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a, as a fool dies? Basically, Abner was not convicted, convicted as an outlaw or a prisoner. He died by betrayer. He said the way he died was not a fair way. Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put in fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people went wept over him. He told him, "You're not captured in prison. You were not. You were not captured as a as a war as a war a criminal. You were a free man and victorious. But people people who killed you were wicked." He's talking about the head of his army, whom David could not do anything against him. And he started crying. And that also, obviously, human hearts is a bit complicated. Part of David does care for his kingdom and his name, but also part of him enjoyed Abinir because he knew him for a long time. They were, war they were all raised in the same army. They all had relationships. Yes, there were some difficulties during Saul, but they had relationships. When all people came to pursue David to eat food, to persuade David to eat food while it was all while it was day, David took an oath, an oath saying, "God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down." It is a it is a custom for a lot of people that they don't eat or drink out of sadness, and in some areas in Upper Egypt, as you guys might know, they only drink black coffee. That's kind of their thing whenever they're sad, you know. Uh, but why is this also important? It's because when somebody dies, it makes us reflect on what's important in life. And once I reflect on what's important in life, even the, the basic pleasure, I do not want it. You don't go to somebody's house who have a funeral and you see them watching Netflix or eating ice cream or whatever it is. They are just so in their mind asking tough questions and trying to, to reflect on life. And that's also important because a lot of times when we indulge so much in the pleasure of the world, we forget the important questions. Now all people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abinir, the son of Nir. Obviously, the people had a choice to say, you know what, David is the reason why he killed him. Or to, to see that, no, David was innocent. But God allowed people to see the innocence of David because he had a plan for him. And people tend to be very skeptical. So the fact that all of them saw whatever he did was good, that's just a wonderful thing. It means there's so much love and trust in him that makes him become able to become a good leader. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? Probably, as I was telling you, David probably knew the quality of Abinir, who was, a, who was the head of the army of Saul. And Abinir was very wise as an experienced army man for many years. He knew exactly what he's doing. And I am weak today, though anointed a king. And these men, the son of Zeruiah, Joab and his two brothers, are harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoers according 
to his wicked to, to his wickedness even though david is a warrior and david is strong king he's admitting his weakness here in verse 39 he told him i am weak today because i am a king and these men what they did to me is very harsh to me but i can't do anything may god repay them and maybe this is probably one of the beautiful things that david did here is that he admitted his own weaknesses however he did not take it to the next step which is what you're going to do about this weakness this guy Joab will be with you he'll be the head of your army for a long time you admitted you have a weakness are you going to make any changes or no a lot of people come to confession and after they leave they have no plans to have a lifestyle change in the life everything is going to be as usual so what exactly am I expecting to happen in my life I started the first step but I have to continue to complete and to finish what God that transformation that God wants for me and glory be to God.